There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is in the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the system mastery, a shadowy realm where horses are beaten, 1d6 damage at a time. Please find enclosed for your consideration one RPG, titled Heaven and Earth. Picture a leaden volume of another time, a once brilliant star in a firmament no longer part of the sky, eclipsed by the movement of Earth and time. Heaven and Earth, whose world is a projection room, whose dreams are made of tarot cards. Heaven and Earth, struck down by common sense and lying on the unhappy pavement, trying desperately to get the license number of decent mechanics. Welcome back to System Mastery. I'm Jeff, and as always, my partner John is here with me. How are you? So good. Oh, you look tired. I'm so tired. <laughs> uh, you uh, you went to Disneyland yesterday, yes? Uh, yeah. How was that? It was great. You went to the beach. You look burnt. I am very or, burnt. Or dead. Yeah, yeah. You. Where do you see my dick? <laughs> hey, bitch. Where do you see my dick? <laughs> Turns out sunscreen really hurts on a ball sack. <laughs> I didn't know. It's like icy hot. It's the it's the worst. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're gonna describe that Christopher Walken voice. Can you give me that? Can you give me that real quick? <laughs> can someone do that for me? Yeah. Anyone? No, that's you. That's you, the Christopher Walken voice. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's weird. Hit it, Christopher Walken, describing the feeling of sunscreen on his ball sack. You see, sunscreen on you on your ball sack. It's terrible. <laughs> There it is. That's there, all. there we go. That's all I needed. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't even need the sunscreen because sunshine on my nutsack makes me happy. <laughs> I love that skit, <laughs> but I've never actually, I, when I first saw that skit, I had never actually heard the John Denver song. Oh, that's sad. So I went around trying to recreate it and I was just going like, sunshine on my nutsack. And you were like, you've never heard that song. <laughs> The, I found a nutsack, nutsack, nutsack. <laughs> yeah. like, what the fuck are you singing? They would say to me, why are you talking about nutsacks? They'd be like, it's like the classic John Denver song. And they'd be like, well, sing that. <laughs> and I'd be like, sunshine on my thing that isn't a nutsack. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this week, we bring to you Heaven and Earth. Yeah. It's we a role, certainly do. It's a role-playing game by a guy named John R. Fithion Jr. Yeah. He is a guy that knows people and got one of the people who worked on the original Vampire the Masquerade to do his foreword in there. Yeah. He knows people, including like just his friends, and then he uses them as, as quotes at the at the top of chapters in these books. Like, literally, there's one in there that's like, where the hell are we? Quote, the guy who did the photography in this book. <laughs> That's uh, the, well, the, where the hell are we isn't a real quote. Well, yeah, but all of his quotes are either the Bible, Shakespeare, or some dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, at least that guy's in, like, vaunted uh, company, then. Yeah. The guy who took pictures of your friends in various places and used that as the art for this book. <laughs> you want to start with that, the art in this book? Because it's amazing. Oh, uh, it's great. It I really, mean, it's scene setting for the, for the, for heaven and earth. Uh, all the art in this book, it comes in two varieties. One of them is just looks like someone spilled water on the book. So behind every one of the sidebars and in a lot of, a lot of the pages in general, there's just big ugly splotches that make it hard to read the text sometimes. And then other times he noticed that it was making it hard to read the text. And so he just turned the text white on those pages. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot of what just looks like really close up zoomed in shots of ink blots. Yeah. It's supposed to be an eye because on the front cover, there's, like, two eyes that are looking out over the ocean or some shit. But for his, I'm going to do a sidebar explanation of anything, he just did a close-up of that eye, which just means there's a big black circle in the middle of your text. Mm -hmm. And it's great. Absolutely wonderful. The other type of art that you can find in this book is photographs. 
of this guy's friends. Yep. And he's just, hey, I'm someone standing here. I've got a knife and a fake hand that cut off fake fingers. <laughs> that was great. All of them are, they tried to make them very slightly spooky because, I, I know we haven't even said this yet. Spoiler alert, this is just like Twin Peaks the book. Yeah, this is 100% Twin Peaks, X-Files, the book. Yeah, a little tiny bit of Hellraiser, but, or Hellblazer, excuse me, not Hell... Yeah, uh, not Hellraiser. No, Hell... This book does not have such sights to show you. Oh, no, it does. It's got some great sights to show me. Like, for a example, side boob. someone's topless mom. <laughs> that scene is, that, that picture is amazing. It's someone's very friendly looking topless mom. Uh, she's... She in a closet she's, somewhere. She's in a walk-in closet. She looks... Very charitably, very nice. She yeah, looks, she looks, there's a pet carrier in the room. In the close foreground is a large dog carrier covered in, in, in folded laundry. <laughs> in the corner, she is being handed a jacket by what appears to be a tiny demon, but it's just its eyes and mouth. Oh, and then there's some great Venetian blinds right behind her, and she's wearing a pair of Wrangler's 501s, and you, yeah. get, you get a little side boob. Man, it is the least sexy shirtless picture of someone... It would be super ever. sexy if it was someone you had a connection to. Like, literally, if that was a picture that was like, oh, my girlfriend sent me a text message while I'm at work. Oh, oh my. I wish I hadn't opened this in the meeting. That, <laughs> that's that's the level of porn it is, where it's like, this is sexy because it's a friend. Because <laughs> I know. Because I know. Yeah. This is between me and them. <laughs> we also get someone's grandma standing in a doorway <laughs> and that. they put some flame effects behind her. And then they, they digitally altered her face so that she's got a creepy smile instead of just kind of looking around like she just shuffled out between episodes of The Price is Right. <laughs> There's a 1991 style cordless phone and an answering machine on one set next to her and she's standing near the world's oldest stove <laughs> above which is written in paint on the wall. I'm sorry, in Photoshop near in the wall. MS paint yeah, on the wall. Help me. <laughs> And then my favorite, what I think is the author, I'm not sure, uh, is the guy who is the, the preacher. And he's, near the back of the book, there's a guy who's a preacher, and he's standing near a big pile of preacher stuff. And uh, he has 1991 Dave Coulier mullet hairdo. Uh, the kind of ha- mullet that's made out of curly hair, so it goes back, and then it, co- it makes a reappearance and comes back around over the shoulders towards the front. <laughs> like his whole head is just a cresting wave of hair. Yeah. It's business in the front top floor, and then party in the back and the basement. Yeah, there's more business in the front in the uh, basement. <laughs> so uh, there you go. That's that's the art of this book. Now, as for what the book is itself, it's you know every book ever, or every uh, media ever about a tiny small town where crazy things are happening and maybe it's haunted. Yeah, it's that. Like, the the whole premise, if you've seen Twin Peaks, is that it's essentially Twin Peaks with more spooky things happening even than there. Yeah. Uh, it is drawing heavily from X-Files, and uh, if you remember the show Millennium, it's also very much like that. It's a lot like Millennium. Millennium's, what, a two-season, I think? Yeah, I mean, it was just sort of... Grumpy old man X-Files. Yeah. And, and, and instead of being aliens, the conspiracies were all like government cover-ups of paranormal, or not, yeah, yeah it was like all Illuminati, powers. psychic yeah. things, stuff like that. So that's what this is. Now this book, the most innovative thing about Heaven and Earth, to get right out, out the gate, is that you're supposed to play more than one character. Yep. Everyone has at least three tiers of character. Now they don't, they say that, Players don't have to play all three tiers. You have to at least play Tier 1 and Tier 2. If there are a lot of characters that need playing, you can also play some Tier 3s. The tiers specifically denote the level of importance of each type of character to the story. Yeah, so a Tier 1 is going to be your normal protagonist. Yes. So Tier 1 is going to be the normal PC characters that you would have in a regular role-playing game. So, you know, your private investigator, or your special agent, or... Uh, your, like, paranormal psychologist, or whatever you happen to be playing in this, they're the ones doing the actual mystery solving. I don't know, some guy with a van and a talking dog. You know, them. Yeah, yeah, anyone who's... Four teenagers hanging around with some kind of creature or vehicle <laughs> that can talk, yeah. and it has an accent that is incongruous to the rest of them. You know, your tier twos are going to be someone that really helps out. Which is basically going to be your talking dog, yeah, your, your ghost of a phantoms. yeah, your ghost of a historical figure, your dune buggy that that stutters, yeah, <laughs> that's your tier two. 
Yeah, and then your tier three is an old man wearing a rubber mask, and he, he doesn't want people getting near his abandoned factories. Yeah, it's all people that are, like, the helpful janitors mm-hmm. and the creepy old guys that work behind the counter of various convenience stores. The surprisingly Australian local game warden who keeps telling you about the spirits in the woods. Yeah. That kind of guy. Yeah. So yeah. those are your tier threes that will show up very rarely, but have some sort of importance. They have a dramatic importance at the end, because they are revealed to be the bad guy. Well, I mean, the tier threes don't need to be bad guys. Well, no. and Although, they are often used to scare the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Because the Harlem Globetrotters are living in a, in a shack near a swamp, and that swamp has gold in it, and... Th- <laughs> Sco- <laughs> Scooby-Doo movies. <laughs> uh, so, Just, yeah. so, really, what it is is that tier threes are what would be lesser NPCs, Tier 2s would be greater NPCs than any other game. In this game, you're supposed to play them. The whole concept of this game, similar to when we reviewed Nobilis, is that no one is ever not playing. Yeah, because there's going to be a lot of things in here where either it's going to be someone's trying to investigate something themselves because they had a weird vision or a dream about something, or the party is going to decide, well... Someone needs to go check out what's happening at the lake while someone else does the autopsy. Whatever it happens to be, there's usually a fairly decent amount of circumstance in a plot for this game where you're probably going to split up and they want to make sure no one's just sitting around waiting for their turn. Well, it's just like Twin Peaks. You know, Twin Peaks didn't have the main character, uh, Kyle McLaughlin. I've never seen Twin Peaks. Can I Can I go ahead and say that? I'm just yeah, a- you, can, you can admit that I, to the I, people. I'm just aware of Twin Peaks. I've never seen it. I've seen the first two episodes. Thing is, it's hard to get unless you're committed to getting it now. Oh, yeah. yeah it's not like it's on TV, and, and so I would have to go and purchase it if I wanted to see it. Or see it on Netflix. Is it, I don't think it's on there right now. It is. Oh, shit. Well, okay. I'll fix this problem then. Do it. All right. So I have not seen it. I'm familiar with it. But the Kyle MacLachlan main character, is that right? Yeah. Okay. He's not in every scene. No. There's a lot of, like, backdoor dealings, and the whole point is that the town is more corrupt and sinister than you would normally believe for this small town. Sure. And no. that's sort of the same thing going on here. And spoil it for me. Who, who killed Laura Palmer? <laughs> is it J.R. The, was it the Little Dwarf? J.R. shot J- it's Laura J.R. Palmer. J.R. Ewing? <laughs> yeah. Do you think we should do the Dallas RPG? It exists, you know. <laughs> it's really just one of those how to commit a murder by moonlight type Yes, books. yeah. It's one of those books that tells you how to commit a murder. You know. <laughs> like the Bible. <laughs> Speaking of the Bible. All right. Speaking of the Bible, this book speaks often of the Bible and thinks highly of it. This book is called Heaven and Earth for a reason because the apocalypse is coming, you guys. Oh, get ready. Yeah. So it... Goes with the whole premise of the book is that God and Satan had a running bet, mm-hmm. and they could never best each other, which is odd that he decided to say that God couldn't just beat the devil at things. Well, I mean, that is the only way that that particular chunk of Christian theology makes any sense. Eh. If God's omnipresent, then Satan just shouldn't exist. So, sure, but whatever. Moving on, before yeah. we get into a big theological thing. <laughs> so, uh... They're like, okay, great, I'll create humans, they'll have souls, I'll create souls for them, and after an undetermined amount of time, whoever has the most souls wins. Great! Yeah. So, people are fighting over everyone's souls. Yeah, they're like pogs. You gotta gotta get the most pogs. And, uh, it's... So, the angels and demons will occasionally try and get people's souls... And then Jesus is a thing that exists. He's the lamb. And the great thing about Jesus is he doesn't want the apocalypse to happen. He's the only one fighting for humans. He is the Larry H. Parker of this setting. Yep, He will fight for you. That's right. He's the Larry Bird of this setting. <laughs> he is going to do a... I don't know. What did Larry Bird do? A layup? I don't know. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> okay, okay. He's, he's the Three Stooges character Larry. Uh, wait, no, no. He's Larry the Cable Guy of this book. Yeah. Jesus really gets her done. Gets her done, and he really wants you to try his tasty beer bread. <laughs> and he, Jesus' sister has so many moles, you guys. So many. It's it's like a reverse constellation. So yeah, he is trying to make it so that the end times don't happen, because mm-hmm. he wants humanity to just keep on trucking. Yeah, so that's basically the three sides. For God and Satan, the apocalypse is literally coming soon. It, they're, they're, they describe the game as being in the end stages of the apocalypse approaching, and there's some very insensitive ways that the author chooses to make that point. <laughs> some very 1991 ways of making that that is point. He notes, he notes, for example, that the AIDS epidemic is definitely a sign of the coming apocalypse. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's because of fornicators. 
so anyway, God wants the apocalypse to happen as much as Satan does. Yeah, because they're just sort of tired of this bet. And they're like, all right, let's see who wins. So at the moment, they've sent down all their angels and demons to win as many souls as possible for the last big layup. And that's not that big, that's big of a surprise to me, because did you know that 16% of all the humans that have ever been alive are alive right now? Yeah. It's, it's super important right now. It is. Because of, of crazy overpopulation, there are now more people on Earth than ever. And it's it's actually a true statistic that there are currently 16% of all the people who have ever been alive on Earth. That's a huge number. Yeah. So if you can get that many souls, that could totally swing your vote. So God wants the world to end so he can win his dumb bet. Satan wants the world to end so he can win his dumb bet. And Jesus is chilling out and being like, no, guys, come on, let's... Yeah, let's all get together and prevent the apocalypse. The reason Jesus doesn't also do his second coming is because he believes that would make a lot of people go to God's side and then they would end the world immediately as well. Yes. Now, um, I I want this to be noted uh, on a pedantic and, and unfriendly note that this author is writing about the apocalypse a lot. Yeah. It's, it's mentioned sometimes three or four times on a page. Yeah. He can't spell it. Yeah. He spells it apocalypse. (laughs) A P O C O L Y P S E, or the doom that will befall the Pocono Mountains. Yes. <laughs> so I hate that, and I, I don't like this guy. Ah, oh, that's sad for C- you because of that. <laughs> Only that though. That's enough. Nothing else in the book. Oh no, there's lots more in the book, but, <laughs> but that's enough. Okay, so uh, that's that's the basic backdrop. Now let's get this clear. None of that really matters. Not really. You're mostly dealing with small town weirdness. Uh. You know, they mention that angels and devils are a thing that can show up, and they might, but most of the time you're not going to know what they actually are, and uh, if they do, it's probably going to be fairly late in your game. Yeah. So, <clears throat> when you're making all of these ridiculous characters that you are making, because you've got, you know, at least probably three or four characters that you want to make, uh, you've got a... Uh, four different stat zones. So you've got your mind, your body, your spirit, and your heart. And you choose uh, one of these, and that's going to be your dominant sphere. Isn't one of them soul? Is soul... Yeah, well, spirit. spirit instead of, yeah. yeah, okay. All right. Uh, so you've got a dominant sphere... Which will be the thing that you are going to be best at. So you and choose body to be dominant or soul to be dominant. Yeah. yeah. And then there's an opposite of that that will be your uh, weakest sphere. Yeah. So soul is the opposite of heart and and uh, body is the opposite of mind. I'm pretty sure. Probably. I don't care. Yeah. So each one of those gets a certain number of points you get to put into follow-up attributes that are under those. So each one has three attributes. Yes, and I don't remember any of them, except that dexterity is definitely one of them. Well, you get... Okay, so for your body, you get agility, endurance, and strength, your general body stats That's for That's what you always get, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for your mind, you get your psyche, which is your, uh, basically mental stability. Okay. Uh, reason, so how your normal intellect stat. It's your smirts. Yeah. And then wit, so how quick-witted you are. All right. Uh, for heart is all your emotions. Mm-hmm. So you have empathy. You have, uh, faith, which is believing in something, which is odd because that's not in your soul stat. Yeah, and he has a big thing in there where he tells you why. Yeah, because it's your belief in anything, not just anything spiritual. Another note, this book is basically written in first person. The number of times that I came across a paragraph in this book that starts with, according to what I think. Ah, ah. <laughs> uh, okay, so empathy, faith, and passion. So how strong your emotions are. Sure. Great. Okay. And then in your soul, you've got enlightenment, which is your metaphysical awareness of the world. You've got your transcendence, which is how connected you are to all things, mm-hmm. and your will, which is just your strength of will. Sure. There so you that's go. all your stats. Uh, you're gonna get you get some life points or whatever, but you know who cares? Yeah. I mean, you got derived stats from there, so yeah. you've got your hit points, and then you're gonna have your destiny as well. Yes, destiny, destiny, and fate, which are two different things in this book. Yep. So. Uh, he makes a delineation between destiny and fate in that destiny is a thing that is supposed to happen to your character and fate is random events that are going to happen to your character, which is weird because that's not what fate 
is no. The words are whatever. synonyms. Yeah, he he could have gone with something else there. Another another point where I think he encountered something that he he thought was a synonym and isn't. Near the end, he's describing one of the town parts of uh, of the town. Uh, he says Mulberry Street, which is oh, there's beautiful peaceful children playing games in the yards behind white picket fences, and everyone hangs their laundry out to dry. It's quite picaresque. <laughs> now. Now, I, I know that most of the world thinks that picaresque and picturesque are the same word, huh. but picaresque describes the kind of action-adventure pulp novel where Indiana Jones punches a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dude, that totally would be awesome. If like, I know. just walking down oh. a white picket fence street, and then some kid's like, fuck you, Hitler, and just punches him in the face. Oh, look at that house. There's little Timmy playing stickball with his young daughter. Oh, isn't that lovely, daughter? Uh, young, yeah. His young sister. Isn't that lovely? And then next door, Dr. Z is training his frogmen to attach <laughs> mines to the submarine. <laughs> uh, anyway, moving on. There's a lot, a lot of little things in yeah, here that there's, just needled there, at me. I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. This is 100% the definition of a heartbreaker. Oh, God, yes. This, this, is, this is a dream on pages. It is this guy poured himself into this book it is on every page and, and well you, what you don't see is anyone's anyone's attempt to challenge him or change anything about anything because either that or you do but you just see him barreling through it <laughs> no that's cool john you should put a sidebar that takes up 12 pages of identical sidebars you should that's real easy to read oh <laughs> uh, oh my god there's Random poetry in this. Oh, the poetry! I think he wrote. Probably it doesn't. It isn't attributed to anybody. Yeah, because it doesn't say like. And then this came from whoever. Yeah, I, I have to assume that it's just I wrote a poem and I decided fuck you. I'm putting it in oh, my it's book. It's the kind of poetry that middle school girls write. The kind where they when you first first realize that poems don't have to rhyme. Oh no! It's this guy looked at some E.E. E. Cummings and was like, "This dude's great. I can do that." Yeah. It's the kind of poetry where we'd read it to you on the air, but that wouldn't carry it across, because it's poetry that's defined by spacing. Oh, yeah. It's you all know, like, I've got a thing over here, and then I've got a left indent and right indent, and then I, plus, I, I put this part into uh, into circular, or, or into centered. Yeah, and then I hit return twice instead of once before I started typing again. Wow. And then I did one line letter each so that my word just goes straight down instead of across. Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of stuff. It's so weird. There's a lot of personal touches in this book. Yes. There's this, a section I want to... Uh, sorry. No, I'm just saying this is very much... He talks about his own ideas for things a lot in this. It is... The voice is him... Uh, way more than anything else that you'd normally read. So, it is amazing. Okay, there's a section under, uh, when, okay, so let's talk a little bit about what you do here, because I want, I want to describe a story, but it's in a section we haven't gotten to yet. And, uh, that's that when you build your character, you put points in each one of those stats that you have. So you, and they, and the points range from about one to five. Yeah. So you can have like a one to a five in things like will or psyche. Uh, now, once you do that, then you go through and you assign attributes to each one of those attributes. So you assign things like, my character is an excellent driver, or my character is good at playing games. Yeah, you've got your skills, but included in your skills section, they just combine skills with merits and flaws. Right, and the opposite of skills in this game is flaws, which is really interesting. So you can do things like, my character is wealthy as a skill, or my character is homeless as a skill. One of the skill, the uh, negatives that you can take, the drawbacks, is alcoholism. Yep. And, uh, you can have an addiction. Yeah. And then, this is, the, again, this is why I was just talking about personal touches. The alcoholism section is him saying, many people think that alcoholism is a disease. Myself, I consider it to be a personality flaw. <laughs> Here's why. And then he gives us, like, a book report on why alcoholism is a personality defect and not a, and, and oh my god, not a the, disease. The entire section about addiction and alcoholism takes up, like, Four pages of him just writing about it. It's not even like, yeah, you kind of went pretty far because you have a bunch of weird rules about how you get addicted and how you get unaddicted and all of that. No, he just has a lot of thoughts to share. Oh, yeah, it's... Because he still does have those rules. Oh, but yeah. But in between those rules, no, he's telling you why it's that way. You could tell this book was written before LiveJournal existed because this is someone's journal. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, this is like... Probably 75% RPG, 25% blog. Oh, yeah. No, it's like reading Poor Richard's Almanac, but there's dice numbers in it. <laughs> oh, sorry, no, no there dice. isn't. There's no dice. We haven't gotten to the mechanics of that Oh, no, let's, like, let's talk real quick about the, by the byline on the back of the book. The byline on the back of the book is, are you ready to toss the dice? 
And I'm like, oh, I'm a role-playing gamer. Yes, I am. I am totally ready to toss some dice. Oh, no, wait. I meant to throw away your dice. Yeah, no, no. Toss the dice, like, away. Oh, away. Do not, do not. Okay, let me, let me try that again. Are you ready to throw your dice? Ah, oh, damn it. Again, <laughs> yes, I'm ready to throw some dice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, damn it. Okay. Are you ready to roll your dice? <laughs> Away. Away. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a diceless system that uses a deterministic system, as he calls it, mm-hmm. where you have your stat plus any applicable skill, and that is what the number you have is. Then everything has a static difficulty based on if it's easy, normal, hard, challenging, or nearly impossible. So each one of those is a difficulty like two, three, five, seven, or nine. Yes. So you take your stat, you take your skill, you take, you take good, them both, and the, then you got <laughs> the facts of life. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm glad that you were getting there too. Yeah. So you take those, you find your number, and then that's 100% what you can do. So if my stat plus skill is four... I know that I can do the first two levels of something that is difficult and nothing else. Yes. That's just, that's what I have. And when I first read that, I was like, this is fucking insane. Like, I kind of understand, like, oh, verisimilitude. It doesn't matter how well I roll as a person. I can't do a backflip from just a standing position because I physically cannot do it. And more than that, when you first read it, you're like, oh, look at that. The dice get out of the way. It's pure role-playing. He has a sidebar that says, it's going to feel weird for a little while first, and then you'll get used to it. Here, you should probably drink this. (laughs) You should lie back and think of heaven and earth. (laughs) We made that creepier than it is. but, (laughs) But I'm okay with that. So, yeah, so when I went through... That, he gives that deterministic thing first, before he gets into how destiny works, and destiny is essentially your dice rolling, except it uses a deck of cards. Bullshit. You know what? Dice are, or cards are a random number generator. That's what dice are. It's, it's just more pretentious to replace dice with cards. Oh, yeah. And the reason he did it is because he's got a very big tarot thing that we'll co- oh, get gosh. into more later. So, so in this case, but... Yeah, no. In other games that use a, ca- a deck of cards instead of dice, because this isn't the first time that hit, no. that we've seen this. I think it's the first time we've reviewed a deck of cards game, but uh, but we've read them before. In most of them, it's just, oh, look at that, it's D10s. Oh, wow, except that you draw a card. This takes forever, and you can learn to read the d- you can read the deck. This was a bad idea. Yeah, it is. Well, not only does he have a guy from Vampire the Masquerade do his foreword, but he mentions the storyteller system so much throughout this that you can tell he really just wanted to make this a White Wolf game, and they probably told him, no, no, that's dumb. Yeah. And then he decided to make this. What do you think it was called? Heaven the Earthening? Oh, I'm sure it was probably uh, Angels, Twins the Peaksing. Angels the Visitation. X yeah. the Filing. X the Filing. <laughs> Mill the Ennium. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, you draw a card if you want to spend destiny points. You can spend destiny points, and you draw a card from the deck. Aces are 1, and it goes up through 10. So if your card is equal to or less than whatever your number is, then you get to add it on. So if I have a f- the aforementioned 4 in a stat plus skill, and I draw a 1 through 4 from the deck, I get to add it and then say, okay, I drew a 4, so now I go up to 8. Isn't that the opposite? I, I thought it got harder as you went along. No, it is way easier to do things if you're already good at doing them. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it... Which is a good sort of mechanic of it's way harder to just prove something you're terrible at. Yeah, if I'm bad at something, there's less of a chance that I'm going to be like, and I randomly am amazing at it now. Yeah. So, uh, but if you draw a card that is higher than your total at all ever, you immediately stop, you can't draw anymore, and you're done. You fail. Okay, and then what about face cards, John? So face cards aren't tens, because you might have been thinking, man, that's a lot of tens in that deck. You're never going to succeed at anything. Oh, well. No, see, the face cards are nothing. They don't have any value at all. Fuck this game. Anyway, I mean, (laughs) the face cards... Throw your face cards away, America! (laughs) You have nothing to lose but your kings. Oh, wait, actually. (laughs) Uh, Cast off the shackles of jacks. (laughs) So, the face cards do random effects based on a tarot reading. Mm -hmm. So, it'll be like, oh, this is the queen of... Oh, and each suit is one of the four spheres. That's right. So, like, this is the Queen of Minds. Yeah, which is, uh, uh diamonds? Uh, 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 
spades, I think. Oh, okay. That would mean body is... Is, uh, is, is clubs. Well, okay, but they have And to be, hearts is heart. Yeah, they have to be and opposites. And soul is diamond. Yeah, that's, they have to be opposites, though. So that's, so that's what your general things are. Okay. All right. Uh, okay, so that's... That's because you have a uh, subordinate and dominant spheres again, and that's going to come up again later. So just be ready. But yeah, that's all. This all the uh, suits have value. All the numbers have value. And then if you roll, if you pull something like a jack, then you go see what that jack does. A jack, yeah. for example, a jack of body might say something like, "Your body is threatened by this." Yeah, it'll have some vague, weird thing to it, which is like, okay, let's just see. The jack of body is. A one-eyed jack, connoting something hidden or unseen. He holds a twisted icon symbolically. While under influence from the jack, the body is submissive and its true nature is hidden. An affected character may choose any other sphere to control the body or supersede it. So, if you're trying to make a body check and you pull the jack, great, awesome, then you get to do stuff that, like, okay, I'll substitute my mind stat for it. But if you pull that card, like the Jack of Body, and you were trying to, I don't know, do research? I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean, then? Yeah, well, that's the whole thing, is that it, this book is completely full of fumbling expl- explanations of how to use this system, because it, it doesn't know. No, it so, has no idea. So it'll be things like, if you pull a Jack of Diamonds, and a Jack of Diamonds isn't relevant, then you're going to have to spend some time thinking about how that might be relevant, and then tell the player how that is or is not relevant. So, for example, if the body is submissive when the player is trying to uh, let's say, order coffee at a diner, perhaps the character suddenly feels ill and must leave. Or perhaps the diner, su- the, the person running the diner suddenly tries to shove him to the ground. Or, and it's just like, what is... What? Yeah. No, okay, so why why is this... The system's a little too vague and random. But it, we're not done with the cards yet, either, are we? Because at the start of every play session, you deal out a tarot deck, and then you or, or a, a tarot deal, and then you apply it to some character. Yeah, so you're going to have uh, a few cards that you draw, Mm-hmm. You're gonna draw a card, and that's gonna be what your uh, main effect is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so each one of them, not just the face cards, there are things for everything. So you've got like you can tell the four of body does a thing, and the like ace of hearts, and so on. Mm-hmm. They all have their own thing that they govern. Fifty-two little paragraphs about what each card does. So you'll draw that, and you'll go, okay. Here's the governing effect that we're looking at. Yes. Then you'll draw a card for uh, who it is affecting. Yes. And you get to draw another card for, I think it's... I think the way that this works is you you draw one card for who it's affecting, and then you draw three cards. First one you do for checking the suit, second one you do for checking the number, and third one... No, it's the third one you do to, te- to check who it's, it's affecting. Yeah. Because you can't just pull a card. You can't just say, here's the Jack of Spades. You have to say, the Jack of Hearts, which we're only checking that to see if it's a Jack, and the Two of Spades, which tells us that it's actually the Jack of Spades. Because I think that's a tarot thing. Anyway, he, he says specifically that it's a modified tarot, because a real tarot would be too random and weird. Which, whatever, your game is random and weird. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, anyway, he, there's a whole section on how the tarot system works, and then it ends with one of my favorite things about this game, which is that if you ever fail at a roll and you don't want to, you can just challenge the DM or the DM to a game of cards. Yeah, there is a section called Gambling with the Game Master, and if you spend five of your destiny points, you can challenge the Game Master to a single hand of a simple card game, and then whoever wins... You have to set terms beforehand. Yeah. So, you know, you might go, all right, the example given is some dude is caught in an explosion and dies. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't want to die. Yeah. I'll gamble with you. We'll play blackjack or whatever. Yeah. And so uh, the DM's like, all right, well, the terms are if you win, then you're not dead. You're just in a coma. And if I win, then you're dead. And the guy that's next to you loses a point off of his faith stat. Because he just saw you die and he doesn't believe in things anymore. Yeah. Which is terrible because now you're fucking someone else up over your dumb gamble. And being in a coma isn't worth it. You can only check to see if you recover from a coma once every three months. Well, no, that's if you fail a lot. Oh, okay, fair enough. It doesn't matter. It's still like once a week or something crazy. We've said so many times how much we hate it when a game pushes you out of the game forever. Like, not really forever, but close enough. Because if you get pushed into a coma in a game, and you're like, oh, I'll be unconscious for a month. Well, great, we set the game a month later when you wake up, because no one wants to not play. 
Well, I mean, at least with this, this you go, you know, character. maybe it was my tier two that went into a coma, yeah. whatever, who gives a shit. Still, I don't like it. But also, it encourages the DM to fuck with it. That's, oh, yeah. That's the thing. When you're, when, when the, uh, the, all the advice for DMs about this whole gambling with the DM system is, make sure that the terms of the agreement are in your favor. And don't be afraid to alter the results you give them. After all, it would mess with your story. Like, okay, it's a huge risk, though. If you're like, I gamble to not die. Oh, okay, I'll take that gamble. Oh, look at that, you won. You don't die. And then shortly after that, you die. <laughs> you don't die. However, leaving the burning building, you fall down and die. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, fuck you. I mean, I'm going to say that this book, it, I, I'm being a little hyperbolic here. The book has a lot of advice for players doing the right thing, or DMs doing the right thing. Oh, yeah. I will say this. Uh, as much as we have ragged on this guy... Being very, very much himself in this book. Can't spell apocalypse. He has a lot of opinions he wants to share. He at least is slightly decent in several ways. One, he starts out going, uh, everything in this book is going to be his, her, or he, she. Because I don't want to gender identify anything. And he goes on and on for about a page. About a page and a half of this stuff. Uh, uh, People would argue that historically the... He has become the neutral descriptor in American English vernacular, but I find offense with that because I feel as though it is derived from a position of uh, original patriarchal power. Now, in this book, what you will find from me is only the he-she descriptor. By the way, this isn't true. (laughs) It's just he all the way through. You don't see that shit again. Oh, no, he does occasionally say that in there. Yeah. I mean, granted, it, it's irrelevant, because the whole book is written in first per- person. Oh, yeah. You never see he, she, you just see I a bunch. He very rarely uh, addresses the reader. Yeah. So he'll be saying I, or he be, or she, for various things, because he's talking about a character. So yeah. it's like, Jim went into a place, and then he did whatever. I've never seen a section on that, that he, she descriptor thing be so long. Like, in Exalted, that thing takes up three sentences. <laughs> It's just like, we'll use he and she interchangeably in here because uh, we want to. Thank you and good night. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, granted, this was... 1991. No, it was 99. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. It was late 90s, and they had only sort of just started really deciding to not do that yeah. in so, everything. So kudos to him. That's Yeah. I want to give this guy plenty of kudos because the book... I, I'm not a huge fan of this book. I think John likes it a lot more than I do. I, I like it way more than Jeff does. Yeah. But, for various reasons. But uh, ultimately, his this guy's heart is in the right place. Yeah. The book is written from the perspective of be good to your players. Your players are going to be good to you. This is a collaborative effort. Don't be sexist, you guys. There's a lot of good stuff in here. Oh, yeah. Granted, there's some there's some shenanigans about the AIDS epidemic. But but again... <laughs> but at least he's not like... That's even it's w- the gays that are bringing the apocalypse. But even now, it's a little worse knowing that that's in 1999. Yeah. But then he should have been like, this is just some horrible disease that a lot of people are suffering from. It's <laughs> it's not because some gay person fucked a monkey and now the world will end. It's, yeah, but he didn't say I, that. I, he just said there's an epidemic. I know. Ebola. Just use Ebola. <laughs> it affects everyone equally. <laughs> There's, there's no discrimination component. I mean, granted, it primarily affects poor black people in equatorial Africa. Moving right along. <laughs> so, uh, the, once you've got your hand of cards that decides what your session is going to be, which is real fucking weird, by the way. Yes. Because you will have already written out whatever your session is as the game master. So you're like, alright, today's session, uh, I'm going to have them discover a dead body, and it's got some, like, weird mystical markings on it, and they're going to try and figure that out. And, and then, then you deal out a hand, and it's like, oh, and someone is going to get their greatest wish of money, and you're like, what the fuck, how am I working this into a thing? How, okay, I guess, alright, you guys find a dead body, and then the voiceover by Richard Dreyfus says that one of you later became rich. <laughs> Do you get it? Yeah. <laughs> get it. <laughs> yeah. That never made sense to me in that film, is that they, they beat that kid for the dead body, and they're like, well, we'll we have a gun, so we get it. How come he doesn't go, I have a car? <laughs> um, there's no way you guys get to town before me. No way at all. I have a car. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> oh, well. Stephen King books. Eh. Yeah, okay. There's a lot of Stephen Kinginess in this thing, too, isn't there? Uh, a little bit. I mean, you've got that whole, like, small main town thing that A lot of King focus on a sheriff. Well. King King loves to write about that sheriff in town. Oh yeah. Well, again, that's very Twin Peaks as well. Yeah. His his main two guys that he keeps referring to every time he does a here's how it worked in our play was you have an FBI agent and a sheriff, and it is literally just Twin Peaks. Can I 
the FBI agent, first paragraph of his fiction, because this there's a whole running story through this book, which I would love to tell you all about, but I'd fall asleep immediately because <laughs> nothing happens and it's very boring. Yeah. But the main the, in the opening paragraph, he needs to get across to you the rumpledness of Duncan whatever donuts donut Duncan Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, so he wants to tell you about his FBI agent, and he does it like this. He says, this character, or, or this fellow, agreed once upon being shown an issue of the Hellblazer comic book that he had to concede that he did somewhat resemble the main character of that comic book, John Constantine, the Hellblazer, star of the Hellblazer comic book, <laughs> which this guy looked like. And, okay, you don't, you don't need to set it up for me that much. You could just say he's ruggedly blonde. I mean, Hellblazer looks like Billy Idol. That's all Hellblazer. <laughs> he's based on Billy Idol. You could skip a step. You could just say, he had a kind of blonde, good hair, kind of boyish charm about, he looked all Billy Idol-y. He looked all like a sexy Columbo. Yeah. Just fucking, he looked like the character, he had to agree that he looked like the character in a Hellblazer comic book. As soon as I read that, I was like, oh, this is Hellblazer the game, isn't it? And he just wants the thing to star Hellblazer, but he can't just call the guy John Constantine, so he has to call him Duncan Brass Monkey. <laughs> I don't, I can't remember his name. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. There's a, there's a fiction running through the book. And it doesn't matter no, to anything. It's so boring. I kept trying to read it. <sighs> okay, so you've got your dumb cards, and your dumb cards do everything. And so in addition to being a regular human, he has a small section that is about anything else you can be. Yep, and here's the list. Uh, you can be a supernatural. Yeah, well, uh, paranormal. A paranormal, which is someone who's got uh, a care- occasional psychic knacks. Yeah. And they come in two varieties. One of them is dedicated paranormals who are actual, like, psychics yeah. and stuff. And the other are people who have wild talents that they can't necessarily control or control when they happen. Yeah, it's it's the difference between I'm a regular psychic and I'm that carry psychic that just moves things without thinking about it. Yeah, that it, or the FBI agent who occasionally just gets a hunch. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's those. Although, I really liked it in the paranormal section. The It's like wild talent, like things have to happen. There's triggers that can occur. Oh, yeah. There has to be certain things like, you have to be specifically under this type of stress, or be yeah. smelling this type of thing. When you smell fresh cut grass, your power activates. And then one of the powers you can get is just the ability to know where north is. So, <laughs> so I really love that someone's got a wild talent for like, I can smell pancakes. Oh man, pancakes. Also, north is that way. <laughs> <laughs> My trigger for knowing where north is, is I'm not facing north. <laughs> North's over there, you guys. He said, jerking his shoulders back, or his, uh, thumb back over his shoulder. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for telling us where North is. Uh, every time, every time you smell pancakes, you tell us where North is. We, we're, we're used, we get it. We get it. This is barely even a wild knack. I mean, especially because this is a Twin Peaks game, which means there's a lot of talk of being in a diner all the time. Yeah. Uh, so then you also get magicians, and magicians also use the deck. Oh, God, that is the funniest fucking thing. To cast a spell in this game, there's a whole bunch of shit you need to know. First of all, we have to go back to that whole dominant, subordinate sphere thing. When you try to roll, or, or when you try to accomplish a, a skill in this game, you add to your uh, result if you if the skill is in your dominant sphere, and you subtract from the result if it's in your subordinate sphere, your negative sphere. The other two spheres are neutral and don't do anything. When you're casting a spell, here's the limit, here's how you cast a spell. First of all, they're all rituals, so it takes a while. Second, you deal yourself a hand of five cards. You now need to separate those cards into two piles. Uh, you take your neutral cards first and separate those into two piles, trying to keep them as close in total value to each other as, as possible. Then you have to take your subordinate cards and place them such a way that they unbalance your current two piles in as the worst you, way. In the worst way. Then you get to take your dominant cards and attempt to fix what your subordinate cards did. Then you check for face cards because face cards af- apply the effects from face cards mentioned previously. Yeah. Uh, after that, the difference between the two piles of cards in front of you is the difficulty it would take to cast a spell, so you compare that against your character's spellcasting skill, and can then draw further cards to alter your attempt to cast the spell by pull, or by drawing against fate. So the the whole thing with this is you essentially end up just doing a bunch of dumb math, mm-hmm. and you're like, all right, I've got these cards, and I kind of divide them up this way, and I do whatever, and it takes way too long to figure out what the hell you're doing, especially when you're like, I want to do, uh, like, it's an hour-long ritual for me to try and figure out where this dude is in town. 
So you go through your hour-long ritual, and then you go through the hour-long ritual of pulling your dumb cards and figuring out if you did anything. And then you're like, did I do it? Yes, you always do it. You always cast your spell. It's just if it was above your difficulty, you fucked up somehow. Yeah. So, uh... Oh, this is a fun thing about the spellcasting system as well. If you draw all face cards, then the spell doesn't occur, because face cards don't apply to numeric values, so you don't have a total difficulty score to check. The spell automatically fails. However... You are under the effects of all five of the values of those face cards for the remainder of that particular game. Even if they're contradictory. Yes. In that case, you pull, you flip them upside down and you deal themselves to, you, to your, to yourself whenever you need to do something. And then the one that, that, uh, you deal is the one that applies at that time. Yep. It's real fucking dumb. Could I just roll a d20 to cast a spell? No. No, cause you tossed those dice. Well, okay, but again, tossing dice. <laughs> I could roll a die by just kind of tossing it against the surf. No, no, you can't. No, that's, I'm, I'm sorry. I meant uh. to say, I meant to say, hurl the dice. Uh, uh, okay, I could do the same thing. That's another synonym. No, uh, ah, dispose of the dice. There you go. <laughs> so the uh, the other two things you could be, you could be a ghost. Uh, yeah. There's three more. There's ghost. Oh, there's only two more you can be. Yeah, I'm sorry, yes. So you can be a ghost if you want to be a dead guy, and you'll have powers that are ghosty powers. Uh, yeah. Uh, your standard, you can scare people, you can move around, you can move objects. Yeah. It's kind of dumb. It's not very interesting, and they're supposed to be sad, and the whole thing with ghosts is that they are souls who had something left to do. Yeah. And it says that certain ghosts are even ghosts that died of old age, and they simply still didn't fit because they were too schmucky throughout the course of their life to finish their shit, like a, like a goddamn American... And now they need to do it as a dead body. Yeah. So you're generally characterized by you have something you want to do, you're obsessed with it, but you also suck and are depressed at all times. Yes. And your powers are to like scare people and stuff. So great. It's not that interesting. You're going to you're going to try and scare Sonny and Cher and the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> yeah, you're going to try and get those kids out of your damn amusement park. Oh man. That was the last thing I wanted to do was finally shut this amusement park down, but I died before it could. Why did I have to be stuck in Gotham City, where everything that closes just stays there forever? It is infested with supervillains. Why doesn't Batman just buy them? He's super rich. Why doesn't he just buy all the abandoned, like, rubber duck factories and amusement parks and doll stores and shit and just tear them down? Or, you know, he's Wayne Enterprises. Use that factory for something now. Yeah. Convert it to a local school or something. What? Just just get it done. You know, Every time he's like, oh my god, Joker's at the abandoned toy factory. I, I should have, in my Bruce Wayne persona, purchased that factory and converted it to local schools. Then Joker wouldn't go there, because he's got that weird sense of style about him. <laughs> just just snap up the closing buildings, Bruce. It's it's super simple. Yeah. So, uh... I really should have bought that museum of two things that are two parts of one thing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you've got uh, that, and then spirits, and spirits aren't ghosts. Spirits are like weird possessing entities from another dimension that embody something. Mm. So they might be like, I'm a spirit of destruction, or I'm a spirit of getting it on, or I'm a spirit of whatever. I'm and a they spirit can... of 76, I hang out with some kids and they solve mysteries. <laughs> <We spoke mysteries. laughs> okay, kids, oh, let's my. find out what the mystery is. How come our, how come our founding fathers were so Paul Lindy? <laughs> What's going on with that? I don't know. <laughs> don't be afraid to use your nails. Send <laughs> uh, a square to block. <laughs> uh, okay, so they can kind of possess people, and if a spirit possesses you, you can get some extra knowledge out of them, and they'll help you out, but they'll also force you to do whatever they want to do. Right, so you get a little bit of extra power, but then they can kind of mess with you because they are spirits. The last thing in that big section is demons and angels, which are not player characters. Nope. Not allowed to be them, but they are set up exactly as if they were. Uh, I guess so that the DM can design them fairly, which... Yeah, they have power stats and, and things as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wholly unnecessary. Because they're demons and angels. They can just do what the fuck they want. Oh yeah, if you're not having them be player character accessible, the fact that he goes on like a page and a half about what demons do when you sell your soul to them. and The contract thing. Yeah, what they can do and what they can't do and what entails, like, can they fulfill this or that? And I go, you're the fucking DM, do whatever you want. Well, there's a cute section where it goes, because the first power that demons have is contract, and it's it's there to uh, to be the opposite of uh, bless, which is one of the abilities angels have, which is to give you an ability for a while. And basically, the angel bless ability sets people out to be Moses, because it's all stuff like you could part the Red Sea, you could 
turn things into snakes. You could make it rain cockroaches, etc. That's what I do whenever I go to the strip club. I was just <laughs> making rain, rain cockroaches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allowed in strip clubs. That would be anymore. very unpopular. <laughs> Hey, I, I brought in a couple of 20s. Where can I trade these for bags of cockroaches? <laughs> right around the corner, sir. Right around the corner, sir. Did you want uh, normal or hissing? <laughs> oh, hissing. I'd like to be in the VIP lounge. <laughs> yeah. We don't go to the VIP lounge unless we use the classy good kind of cockroach. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. But demons use contract, and contract is just the wish spell rewritten. Because it's straight up, demons will never make a deal with you that's a good deal for the demon. A demon will always make a deal where it fucks you later. And and uh, not the good kind of fucks you later, but the bad kind of fucks you later. With the kind where it takes your words and reverses them and twists them and it's horrible. Players often will discover that this is what's try- what's about to happen and they will ask to read the contract. If they don't, you can just fuck them directly. But if they do, then you can just fuck them roundabout by letting them read the contract and then just screwing with it anyway. If demons notice that players are reading the contract for more than a minute, they'll just fucking cancel the deal, so don't even worry about it. Yeah, there's... I mean, at least he doesn't go that far. It's mostly like, if you're asking for something dumb and easy, then a demon doesn't give a shit. But if you're like, I want to be the president of the United States, he's like, alright, well, I'm just gonna fuck with your shit. Then. Well, it, it says specifically that no no demon contract you ever make is good for you. It will always fuck you. Well, there's always the, I'm going to get my comeuppance and then get dragged to hell. That, well, number one, you always go to hell. If you make a contract with a demon, you go to hell, that's the end of that. There's an exception, which is if you can get the contract back. It says, however, that the contracts are in hell, so, you know. Yeah. Head on in there. There you go. It's time to, I don't know, Supernatural Season 8 it up in here. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Supernatural. It's bad. Moving along. After that, there is a section about how to be a DM in this game. Yep. Which, in, in, a lot of it is just examples from his own playtesting attempts. So Well, he'll give you like, okay, try and be flexible when you're a GM, because your players are going to try and do things that you haven't planned for, so be sure you can accommodate what their needs are. And then he gives you an example from the game that he was playing. Yeah, and I think the example he gave was that his players didn't want... None of them wanted to be one of his uh, T2, uh, Tier 2 characters he had designed for the adventure. Uh, so he just kept pushing forward and, and wrote that character out or something. It was like the... No one wanted to be the big shot who runs the town. Everyone instead wanted to play as the FBI fanboy who hangs around and helps the FBI guy because he thinks there's a conspiracy around every corner. So the the whole thing with this... We talked earlier about how you're supposed to create more than one character. Yeah. Okay. You're not supposed to start from scratch with this. This game's got a dramatis personae system where you're, where, where the DM says, all right, you guys enter the fictional town of Potter's Mill and, uh, there are a whole bunch of people in town and many of them are curious or mysterious or interesting. And here's very brief descriptions of them. Pick the ones you'd like to play and then flesh them out. Yeah. So you'll get things that are just very basic, like you run the mill or you're the town sheriff. Or you're a local waitress, or whatever it happens to be, yeah. and then you decide what they're actually like. You're the ghost of a murdered teenager. That's one of them. I'm not making a Scooby-Doo well, reference well, here. Yeah, no, I mean, that's just straight up, you are Laura Palmer's ghost. Yeah. Well, okay, there's a section near the beginning that makes this the Twin Peaks, Peaksiest, like Twin, or like Peak Twin Peaks, if I may. If you may. And I may. Uh... It says, make sure that the people in the diner that you hang out or, out in are all very serious characters. And I don't mean serious as in serious. I mean, they're characters. Perhaps one of them always eats an egg dish for breakfast every day, and he can remember the egg dish he always he, he had every single day of his life. Yeah. So it has a lot of, like, make this town just super America, small town, but just off in some way. Put the log lady in there. That's a thing, right? That's <laughs> yeah. it. Okay. Good job. You knew a thing from Twin Peaks. <laughs> I think uh, I saw that in a burlesque show or something where, <laughs> come for the Twin Peaks, stay for the well-clad, actually, bosoms. Yay. Burlesque shows are terrible. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're going to piss off all of our burlesque listeners. <laughs> Our burlesque listeners? Do yeah. they listen in a burlesque way? I yes. mean, I already pissed off our picaresque listeners. <laughs> yes, all of our pulp listeners oh. out there fighting Nazis and <laughs> trying to take over small towns. Oh man, we had some guy sitting there screwing together a doomsday bomb in his in his basement. He's like, oh, those guys, they're on the list. <laughs> oh no, Doc Savage! <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> And then uh, it ends with a little adventure that 
you can do... I only read, like, the first page of it. I was on the beach. Yeah, it's... Frankenstein's <laughs> Apprentice. Yeah, there's a guy taking body parts, and he's trying to make a body out of body parts. Well, that's the right thing to try and make a body out of. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, if you're trying to make a car out of body parts, you're going to have a hard Start time over it. <laughs> Flowchart to check on. Number one, are you trying to consult a bo- or construct a body? Yes. Are you using it? Car parts. Yes. Start over. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and it's, it's interesting. He, again, has a lot of, like, this is what I did when I was running this game. And yeah, there's a little too much of that. I've, I've said it before about this book, but it, there's a lot of first person in here that is just they, unnecessary. Yeah, yeah there is. <laughs> it's like reading some guys... like it's, it's like reading the making of Heaven and Earth. <laughs> like if this book came with the DVD notes, you know? Oh man, that would be great. At this point, I was thinking that I should put in a paragraph about what I think alcoholism is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not of this book, but other books should have a making of DVD. Yes. I'm making of D&D DVD. That'd be pretty good. I'd yeah. watch that. The Master. It would, it would be pretty yeah. much constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, <clears throat> shall we break down at this book into its so Shall meets? we break down into tears? Shall we break down into dance? Shall we break bread together? Well, we're going to do that later anyway. Oh, great. I'm pretty hungry. How about you? Yeah. I could eat. In fact, fuck this podcast. <laughs> fuck this podcast. Fuck burlesque. <laughs> uh, what else do people like? <laughs> Uh, let's see, uh, Call of Duty, that's a shitty game for idiots. <laughs> oh, it's true, though. Anyone who plays that game is a big dumb dummy. <laughs> and they're only going to have sons who are terrible. Yes. Congratulations. Okay, whatever. Okay. What would you say is your favorite thing about Heaven and Earth? My favorite thing in this game is actually the way it treats religion. It's one of the few games that has had a... Actual focus on religion as a thing, mm-hmm. but hasn't turned it into, you have God powers and roll to pray, and it you don't interact with God, you don't interact with the devil, yeah. you might have an interaction with like an angel or a demon. But the book is very clear about don't let that go on for too long, have the angel leave right away, they should be cryptic and unknowable. And you might not even realize it was an angel or a demon. Yeah. And it's... Even if it is, I mean... Oh yeah. How do you talk to an angel? Well, first I check my stats on, uh, I don't know, dexterity plus talk. <laughs> Everything's dexterity. I can't believe you didn't just go to the next line of the song. Is it because, like everyone else in the world, you don't know it? <laughs> Why would I know that? Because <laughs> it's a good song that you it's don't know. It's a terrible song. To. Oh. Get out. Oh. Okay, I'm sorry. You, but you're right. For a game that, that literally has a faith score, this book doesn't feel like it has a faith score problem. No. it It is very much like... Things are unknowable and vague, and, I mean, it does go with... The premise of the book is that there is a God and a Jesus and a Satan. So it's not like, uh, you have to take a lot of things on faith from the GM perspective metagame. But the characters in the game, it has a a very strong struggling with faith, struggling with what do you believe aspect to it that isn't just... Oh, I wonder if God is real, and then you look over and every street corner has a cleric performing miracles. Yeah. That is a real problem uh, in a lot of other games that this game definitely handles. Yeah. So. so I think that definitely my favorite thing in this book is the way it handles religion in a book that is focused about religion without going crazy over it. All right. I think that's good. And I think it's important that you've got to have faith. Yeah. You got it. You got it. Faith. Faith. Yeah. Faith. Yeah. Before, faith. Be, and you also have to have a heart, heart stat, so don't give your heart away. Yeah. No. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise, how are you going to touch your body? Uh, moving on. <laughs> the cider's really s- good. <laughs> what would you say your favorite thing in Heaven and Earth is? I like, and I'm gonna. I, this is weird because my primary issue with this book is that the guy's got this deep personal tone where he tell where he goes over informative. But I like the guy. I like his voice coming through. He's very fair as a DM. He he wants his players to have a good time. He wants his DM to be able to create an interesting game for his players. Yep. He, all of his, I mean, th- remember, this is us. This is System Mastery, and most of the books we read have angry, grumpy writers who want the players to suck. <laughs> and not this one. This guy's like, no, don't, don't, if someone does something that's going to ruin your game, 
talk with them about it. Make sure, if, I know that I have a thing in here where they can roll, they can gamble against you, but they don't need to. They can they can have a discussion with you and come up with a solution that'll work. Yeah. So I like this guy's kind of moderated, neutral tone about how to have a good time with players because that's the hardest thing about a lot of these old RPGs is that adversarial goddamn bullshit that, that oh, yeah. crops up. That's not in here. This is a good book. Yes. Ish. This is the good book. It's a good book about the good book. Yes. Okay, what would you say is your least favorite thing about Heaven and Earth? My least favorite thing, and it pops up in this game and several other ones, is that the destiny points that you're spending to draw cards to see if you succeed at something, to gamble with the DM, to do a bunch of dumb things. Cast spells. They, your destiny points are your XP in the game. Yes. And I hate any system that makes you choose between being good now and being good later. Yes, I agree. It's... It's terrible. I hate... I love brownie points, fate points, destiny points, whatever, that let you try and go, oh, this kind of sucked. Let me see if I can turn it around. Yeah. That, as a concept, is great. But when it's tied into, if you do this, you don't get XP, that's kind of terrible. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. So that would be my least favorite thing in the book. Okay. Uh, your least favorite thing? Okay, this happens fairly early in the book. But there's a section about how to to uh, check against your stats to see if you s- succeed at things. Uh, I want to say roll, but of course this game does not have dice. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, it does it by saying, okay, your character would like to drive a boat. He checks to see if he has a drive skill. If he has a drive skill, he should check against a drive skill to see if he succeeds at driving a boat. Sure. If he does not, then try another skill or another attribute. For example, he could drive the boat using his will score by using sheer will to do something that he is not good at doing. And as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, so just put your will score as high as it can go and use that for everything? Like, every single thing? Like, oh, I'll shoot that guy with wit, with will because I want to so bad, even though I don't know how to use guns, sheer will of lo- alone will drive me through. Yeah, having that, That's, I mean, it's not a big section, but the fact that it's in the book makes it so players are going to be like, wait a minute, I don't have a drive skill, but what I do have is mad skateboarding skills. It's basically the same. Well, it's, the will is the worst example. He, he literally used the worst possible example for how to roll oh, skills. Yeah. If you're bad at something, just roll any other skill that you can argue your way into. Yeah, it's it's just, hey man, why don't you be argumentative with your DM until he caves? No, it, it, all I want is for the book to be concise and defi- uh, definitive. Using your will score to overpower the fact that you don't have any other skills at all is stupid and shouldn't be in there. It should just be, if you can't drive, you're bad at driving. That is essentially it. And, I mean, it does say, like, don't make your players actually have to test if they drive a car, because oh, yeah, who gives a shit? He, he says all players are literate and have an education and can drive and can swim. Yep. It's that simple. He doesn't want to deal with that, and it's perfectly fair to say that, because everyone can drive. You don't need that skill in a modern game. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's my least favorite thing, is that the guy tends... And that's that's not an isolated incident. The guy c- tends to cave a lot of the time. And say things like, well, if you can't figure out what this does, maybe you could waffle in this direction, or maybe you could waffle in this other direction. Mm, I'm like, waffles. Oh, God, waffles would be so good. Oh, uh, north is that way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, bringing it around. That's right. Okay, so uh, there's a lot of sections in this book where he just goes off on these waffle fests where he's just like, well, maybe in this situation this could happen, but in this other situation this other thing could happen. It's like, dude, this book's 400 pages long. You You could make a decision. You could. Yeah, okay. So there you go. John, would you play Heaven and Earth? I I don't think I could play that version. Uh, I broke our rule and slightly researched the thing, just because I wanted to see if the supplements that he promised actually came out. Gasp, how dare you. Yeah. You are to go home immediately and read the letter K of the dictionary. <laughs> and although I was not planning to have further food this evening, I am going to go enjoy pizza. <laughs> yeah, the... Uh... So I did find out that they put out other editions of this, and they used dice, because they finally realized, wait a minute, dice is way better than this dumb bullshit yeah, that we've got in here. Yeah, just gave up on this. And their their tagline of, would you like to toss the dice? Now it's real. Now it's real. Now you can toss the dice. Yeah, so... Wait, you I, throw the dice away? I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, so I would play... I would still... I like Heaven and Earth as a concept. Like, the setting is interesting... I would want to play Twin Peaks, the RPG, that's fine, but I, I don't know that I would want to use that system specifically. I might do one of the later editions. 
Okay, well, we haven't read those, so who yeah. knows? Uh, this is obviously a first edition. Yes. It, it feels very much like someone's first attempt, and it feels like someone working on a micro-budget to get a book out that he had, he believed in. There's a lot of spelling errors, there's a lot of really terrible editing that, that any editor would have been like, no, don't do this, don't publish this. Yeah. But, but it made it out. So... So would you play Heaven and Earth? No, hell no. No, this is not my bag, baby. I don't care about this particular genre, this sort of... I don't like games that are set around kind of a vague mystery where it's like, never let the players determine if people actually are psychic or not. Instead, always have them hinting and gasping at straws. And the reason I don't like these kind of games is because in order to keep those big secrets, you have to cheat a bunch. Players encounter a psychic guy, and then he vanishes when a bus goes by. That's the sort of thing that works in a media that you're not in control of. Uh... But in the media where you are, you're like, oh no, fuck that. I, I, as soon as I see the bus coming down the street, I get to the other side of the street so we can't do that bullshit disappearing bus shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, so no, I'm not a big fan of the vague mystery genre of gaming. So, even if this was an amazing book, I'd probably still say no. Alright. So, we'll see though, if we yeah. ever read another edition. Will we? No. 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 God, God no. God no. Okay, so there you go. Uh, one yes, one no. Oh wait, no, it's two no's with a conditional yes. Yeah. For, uh, Heaven and Earth. Yeah. All right, great. So, uh, this has been System Mastery. As always, you can find us at SystemMasteryPodcast.com or at your choice of Gmail, Twitter, Facebook, or, uh, let's see, iTunes and Stitcher. All under the same name. Yep, it's all System Mastery. It's System Mastery all the way down. <laughs> Except at the bottom, it's Turtles. <laughs> oh, no, Turtles. <laughs> Go to Turtles.com for System Mastery. <laughs> there are Turtles in time. <laughs> There's a secret of some ooze down there. Ah, yes. This has been System Mastery with the secret of the booze. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little... Just a little. Just, a, just a little. Have you, did you see the recent Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film? No. I've been using it to fall asleep for the past several days. It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. So this has been the System Mastery Podcast. If you have any particular RPG you would like us to review, please either send it directly to us, which you can do by emailing me for an address... Or just to recommend it. We don't, we take a lot of recommendations. I mean, let's be honest. The list of recommendations is about 300 books long right now. Yeah. And, uh, also I have several books that have been mailed to us and we, we want to give those priority. So it's going to be a while, but that doesn't, that shouldn't stop you. Send us your recommendations. And for our Afterthought Sister podcast, send us your questions. Questions about anything. We do not care. If you want to ask us about the Teletubbies, about, uh, geopolitical uh, scenes in like Israel and stuff. We'll totally answer them as, unprofessionally as we do reviews. Yeah, if you want to just hear us say horrible things that are insensitive and incorrect because we didn't do any research... <laughs> then you've come to the right place. Yeah, questions that start with things like, black people often. Yeah, that's that's the kind of question that we are experts at. Alright, you got anything else you want to contribute? Nah. Perfect. Well then, this has been the System Mastery Podcast. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful week. 